Hey, Booker Tov. All right, today's staff is Lamatet. We are behind. So uh, we pick up at the bottom of Lamachet Aleph, the very bottom. And um, we are dealing with whole issues about slaves and Tikkun Olam relating to slaves, although not necessarily always what we might have thought, uh, depending on which way the Tikkun Olam goes. Okay, and we're having a, also a question about whether when you free a slave, when you uh, renounce uh, property ownership of a slave, does that automatically free him, or do you need a get a star shichruer, because it's also a personal status issue as well. So, a non-Jew, we're all talking about non-Jewish slaves, which are owned as property. So now the Gemara says like this, this, um, it is eight lines from the bottom on Lamed Chedem Aleph. There was a female slave in Pumpadisa. That people were doing prohibitions with her, meaning that she was being taken advantage of sexually. Amar Abaye, you loved Amar Rav Yudah Mashmuel. What not been that Rav Yudah in the name of Mashmuel said? Call him a shachar avdo over Abase. Anybody who frees a slave transgresses a positive commandment. Force the master to free her, then she could free her and she could be married by a Jewish man, or that she'd be treated with more respect because she was a free woman. Maybe slaves people feel that they can be exploited and taken advantage of. So that's what I would do, but he felt constrained to do it because of the teaching of Rav Yudah Marshmuel. So Ravina, now Ravina says, Kiha Moda Rav Yudah. Rav Yudah would agree that in such a case you are allowed to free the slave. Mishumilsa di Isura, because the prohibitions that are being done are um, outweigh the positive mitzvah um, not to free a slave. Now, that's still sort of saying like it trumps the mitzvah. It's not saying that the mitzvah doesn't apply in those cases. There are some of shown that say differently, um, as the, the famous Gemara about, uh, well, we'll see, about uh, somebody who freed his slave in order to make a minion. So the Gemara says, well, whatever happened to the prohibition that you're not supposed to free a slave? Okay, so anyway, and the Gemara says, well, you know, it's a mitzvah and so on. So some of them again, treat that as overriding a, this, this, this uh, command, this mitzvah say, and other, other Others say that it is not overriding, but maybe the command doesn't apply when there is a good legitimate reason. Now, what does the mitzvah say? The mitzvah say is based on the passage of Olam Bahem Ta'avodu, you shall you shall enslave them for eternity. Um, again, very ironic, given that the whole point of uh, you know Yitzhak Mitzrayim is to speak about the you know inhumanity of enslaving other people, um, other human beings. And then here we have this mitzvah say that you're not allowed to free a slave. Um, and the Gemara is going to I don't know I grapple with it a good deal. We'll see. If we're going to be a little bit debated. Um, it's uh, more understandable again if you say, um, uh, what do you call it? That it's uh, that it's only if it's like being done for no purpose. You know, if it's being done for a legitimate purpose, it's okay. So it still doesn't exactly explain it. I think you have to understand that the idea that in a society in which the economy is based on that, and you're not dealing with deep systemic changes, and you're dealing with individual cases, maybe it saw this as some I don't know, as somehow uh, challenging to you know the uh, norms, like you know. If I don't know, but is that like when the South said, you know, you're going to completely ruin our economy, and that's why they were resisting it, because they couldn't deal with the transition. But again, you're dealing with the freeing of an individual slave in a case where the systemic problem has not been addressed. So maybe somehow that is seen as something that is more problematic. Maybe it's not even in the best interest of the slave, maybe they're imagined. I don't know. But anyway, yeah? Perhaps we are kind of backwards projecting our own, uh, you know, uh, standards on UCS Right. Things to play. There's, there's God's dominion over everything. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying it was the whole point of it. Just me trying. Obviously. Certainly, the husband is like, yeah, and, and so that. Right. Is but that doesn't directly address the whole slave labor. 
issues. So. Right. I'm not saying that's the whole sort of message of you see at me trying, but it still obviously heightens the irony of the uh, situation, of, you know, about, about well, the... It's one thing that the Torah tolerates the institution of slavery, right? That you could say, you know, the Torah... I, obviously, the, the world wasn't ready for, to change that for thousands of years from the time the Torah was given, but it's like it's another thing to sort of deal with what we dealt with yesterday, which was the only people who own other human beings are Jews owning non-Jews as slaves. You know, it doesn't work in any other direction. Just say, there's a mitzvah not to free slaves. Yeah, I mean, that's, I'm struggling with that also because, like, clearly, this section of the Gemara has a different perspective on the whole institution of slavery than we would like. Right. And so, I'm just wondering, you know, um... Right. Anyway, I'm saying tolerating it, you know, is one thing, but sort of reinforcing it seems to be more challenging. Yes. When we free the slave, they become Jewish. Yes. So, isn't there a positive aspect of that? Yeah. So exactly, which raises that question as well. But again, maybe the point is, but this is the person that necessarily wanted to be Jewish, necessarily was forced. In, they were forced into a position as slaves, and they were forced to do mitzvahs as slaves. So maybe it's also seen as threatening that that way. You know, what does it mean to bring a person into freedom, make them a Free, free man, a free woman, make them a Jew, and uh, you know maybe they're maybe maybe they're not interested in any of that, and maybe that could be problematic in other ways. But yeah, how do you balance the two, the, the negative and the positive? Thing? Which would be yeah. So I don't know. The Gemara basically says, well, the Gemara is inclined to say, basically says the default is you don't free slaves. There's a mitzvah to say you don't free slaves, and here it says, okay, well here it would be allowed because of isura, because of transgressions that were being done. Okay, the abaye misumisura lows, and now the Gemara continues and says, and you mean to tell me that a Baye would not say that transgressions were a legitimate reason to free a slave. with a certain woman. Half slave, half free. She was owned by two partners. One of them freed her, one didn't. So she had this in-between status, which it's always the worst to be in the middle, you know, the, to be in, like, in, in the middle of two worlds. So she could not marry a Jewish man. She could not marry a slave because she was neither a slave or a free person. So and they forced the master to free her. Why? Because people were treating her like uh, like ownerless, you know, literally, or whatever. You know, they were, they, they were taking advantage of her. They were treating her like dirt. They, and they were taking sexual, you know, advantage of her. Um, so, uh, because she, she couldn't be married to any man, not to a Jew or to a, not, or to a slave. So the Lord says, How could you compare those cases? There, she couldn't be married neither to a free person nor to a slave. So she certainly was going to be taken sexual advantage of. Here, she was a slave woman, fully a slave woman. If there was a problem that people were taking sexual advantage of her, find her a slave husband and who would uh, protect her and who would keep off these, uh, these other men. So here it is not as urgent um, to, and it's not the only course of action and therefore that's why there was a question whether she could actually, whether it was sufficient uh, justification for her to be freed. Okay, now the Gemara gets back to this idea. Kufa, let's go back to that statement. Amar Avi Lomar Shmuel. Kol Meshachar Avdo Over Beyase. Anybody who frees a slave transgresses a positive command. Shinemar, Olam Bahem Ta'avodu. You shall enslave them forever. Mesel, ask me on this. Maizu Rebbe Lezer, Shinechos Beis Akhenesas. He had told you this was coming up. Famous Rebbe Lezer went into the synagogue. Velo Matzah He did not find ten people who were there to make a minion. Vishichar Avdo. And he freed a slave and freeing a, a non-Jewish slave. Right? As a non-Jewish slave, they're partly obligated to meet so you free them, they become a full, a full, uh, 
uh, you know, full Jewish status, and Veshichras uh, Avdo, where am I? Veshichras Avdo, and turned him into a mitzvah, into a mitzvah, into a, min, into a minion, made the minion. So the Mitzvah is Mitzvah Shani. Ah, for a Mitzvah it's different. And again, the question is, what does this mean? Like, if there's an actual Mitzvah, the right of not freeing your slaves, and how does, and it's only a Mitzvah Durabanan of making a minion, uh, how does that override? So some Mishanim still say, like the Ramban has a great line, and he says, well, even though it's only a Mitzvah Durabanan, it is of such great theological weight, because the Gemara says, God shows up to show and there isn't a minion, God automatically gets angry, so it's not just a question of technically, is it a, you know, is a minion technically a Mitzvah Durabanan? It's like profound theological weight, and yes, that can't override this mitzvah say. But the other answer that we shown and give that they're more satisfied with is that uh, this mitzvah of not to feed the slaves only means like if, if it's for no good purpose. But if there's a legitimate purpose, then you're not. It's not you're not overriding. You're not even transgressing. Okay. He doesn't have to like you know do mila or whatever it is. Or, or no, he already did. Or, he already did. Get into the field, just like free, just like that. He doesn't do anything. Yeah, because you're tovel him when he is a slave, and you do a mila when you make him into a slave. So the idea is that this all the acts of Gairus were done to him, but he it, they are prevented from manifesting themselves because of the reality that he's enslaved. And as soon as you remove that reality, that earlier act basically like you know comes to fr- manifest itself fully, is given the ability to fully to fully express itself no okay so see when you made him partially obligated and you you uh, nope you force it on him you force the status on him so what can you say if you free a slave he's going to do many mitzvahs every day yeah yeah but that's right so I mean um, uh, yeah I mean again that's like an interesting question like it's a difference between somebody who's like not obligated so to say they could become obligated and could do mitzvahs is a little different than saying I right now am obligated and not able to do the mitzvah that I have to do right so it's again I, I, I don't know where you're coming from but it's seen as it what? Not this is a required mitzvah. A minion. Yeah, that's true also. Right. I understand the issue. The Gemara does not have as much sympathy if you're not in that category to change your status so that you'll be in a category so that you'll be able to do more mitzvah. Like that's seen as like of a different nature. Okay. Tell the Rabbanan. Now we get to talk about this a little bit. You shall enslave them forever. So Rabbi Yishmael is a man after my own heart. So he basically says that it's not a mitzvah. You're allowed to. The Torah will tolerate the institution of slavery. You don't have an obligation to keep your slaves. Rabbi Yishmael, no, you're obligated to, like we said before. So the Gemara says, Maybe Rabbi Lazar, who was the one who freed his slaves, we gave him a whole hard time and we had to say he was justified to do it because of Isura. So maybe Maybe he did it because uh, he held like that's Rebbe Lazar, right? Oh, he was the one with the minion. Excuse me, excuse me. We maybe Rebbe Lazar did it not because Mitzvah Shani, but he maybe just held like Rebbe Ishmael that there really isn't a obligation. So the Gemara says no sagadaitis. That doesn't make sense. Tiny bad we talk. Still seeing the vice Rebbe Lazar or Merchova. Rebbe Lazar himself says it's an obligation to not free a slave, to keep a slave as a slave. Okay, so the Gemara says I'm a rabba. Bahani klos mili nati bali in the following three ways, the uh, own, homeowners, which basically means wealthy people, um, have uh, go like uh, you know lose their lose their wealth, go down from their property. Okay, so this is the way that uh, wealthy people lose their wealth based, because of three things. 
Bishabasa. I'm sorry. Uh, they free their slaves. Okay, they think they're going to be so magnanimous and they have all these slaves, so sometimes they're nice and they free them. So also, you um, give them a lot of presents when you free them. Right. You, 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 um, don't you have to, no, that's a good evening. Okay, Bishabasa. Now, you could say, okay, that he's just saying it's a bad economic decision, you know, but it's clear that there's more of a, like, well, moral or religious punishment because of a sense of a religious violation. Because the next one is they survey their property on Shabbos. You know, they go out to their field and they check that everything's being taken care of and so on. So that there's no practical reason why that should make them, you know, uh, not, you know, not be as uh, successful financially. Clearly, if there's a type of a mida connected mida, they think that they're being like so generous, but they're actually mis, you know, using their property as it were. So, um, so there are, in the case by slaves, and by the case of Shabbos, obviously, and therefore they're punished by losing their property. Um, and the final one is so they maybe make a nice big meal so that thinks that's a good use of it and they do it on Shabbos on Shabbos so they have a big big meal on Shabbos the only problem is that they do it when it's time for the sh- for the shear when everybody is supposed to be going to <laughs> everybody is supposed to go into the base madrash hear the rabbi's shear and you're show and you're throwing the great big lavish kiddush okay so now the Gemara says like this um, <laughs> Exactly. Okay. So it did not mention anything about the drinking. So the Gemara says like that. Okay. There were two like important families in Jerusalem. One established like a big uh, feast on Shabbos. And one a big feast on Erev Shabbos. I'll go back and tell you what I'll tell you what that means in a minute. Or I'll tell you two opinions of Rashi has. They were both uprooted. They were both I know destroyed or certainly lowered from their status, you know, lowered from their wealth um, because of this of this misuse of, it seems to be also good, like freeing a slave seems good but ultimately it was wrong and therefore they were punished. Now, on Shabbos we understand, because we just said, what's the problem on, on the era of Shabbos? So Rashi has two explanations. One explanation Rashi says, which is, I don't know, I find it strange is that it means just Friday night? They had a big meal on Friday night? So what's the matter? A big meal on Friday night? So I says, well, because you're supposed to have more uh, lavish, uh, how more kavod on sh- your meal on Shabbos day than on Friday night. That's just a midrashic idea. I don't want to, you know, take a look. It just says, uh, I mean, the kaimelan kavod yom kolum kavod laila. Okay? So, the haim, if you look around, he says, the haim, but they had such good intent. They were told, don't make a lavish meal Shabbos day, because that's when the shear is going on. So they said, okay, we'll make it Friday night. But no, then you did something wrong there too, because you're supposed to show more, make more, more of your nice meal on Shabbos day than on Friday night. So it's sort of like a real, like, damned if you do, damned if you don't. The other explanation Rashi has is that they did it on Friday afternoon. And then it's much more understandable. Friday afternoon, everybody is getting themselves stuffed and they're, surprised they're not coming into Shabbos, you know, hungry for Shabbos. Hungry for, you know, with the appetite. Yeah, but not like that Kovea Seuda. All right, so now the question is like this. Um... Okay. Amarav, Amarav. Hamatish Avdo Yatsalukhais. Now we're moving on from freeing your slave, or well, I mean, obviously circle back, but not, but anyway, um, I mean, but like the, uh, whether it's permissible to free your slave, but we're going to go to ways in which a slave might become, you would actually free the slave. You know, the action of freeing the slave, not the permissibility of such. So he says like this. Hamatish Avdo Yatsalukhais. If somebody sanctifies their slave, then he goes free. How does that happen? So, my time, what's the reason? So now this next passage, it's a whole debate, Rashi tells us how to read it, I'll just tell you, I'm going to read it like Rashi. 
it's going to be difficult in reading some of the words, but we're just going to deal with that. My time, what's the reason? You can't actually make his body holy. Now, why can't you make his body holy? So, Rashi says, well, it means, um, if you think of it like, I can't make him into a korban, I can't make him into a beam that I'm going to build into the Bedekabayas, into the Beis HaMikdash. Now, the funny thing is, why can't I just make him some property that's owned by the Beis HaMikdash? You know, and the Beis HaMikdash can use him to do their work, or they can sell him to somebody else, which we'll see is clearly an option. So, we'll see about that. And Tosal says what Kufolo Kaddish means is, is that even if you were to think about that comparison. I could sanctify my car, the basement could own it and sell it, but the Gemara says, yes, the Tosla says, yes, but here's the difference. The car, if I sanctify it, if you misuse my car, you transgress Me'ilah. The car is considered to be like a, a thing now that because it's owned by Hektish that is intrinsically holy and it's Asr Behana. And there's a sense that you can't do that to a slave. A slave is still, uh, he's both a human being and property. He can't become a total object so that now he becomes, how could I be Asr Behana, right? How could a human being, you know, be forbidden in benefit? Like, nobody can talk to him because he gets benefit from him he can't do anything because he's getting benefit from himself I mean like he's too you know, so there's something about that like, like you know he can be owned but he still remains even being to be usher because of a hectic status that Tosa says is impossible so that's what Tosa reads is that you weren't sanctified gufe but Raj basically says you can't use him as an object that's used by hectic um, you know directly gufe lo kadesh you didn't say let, I'll just be obligated to pay his money to the base of Mikdash. So, so, so what does it mean if you're sanctifying him? If he himself can't be holy and you're not just accepting to pay his money, what does it mean? What you mean when you say I'm sanctifying him is it means I want him to be like one of the holy people. I want him to be a Jew. So we translate your words to mean that you're freeing him. Now, it's a little bit bizarre and what Rashi says, he's going to say it later, but I'm going to say it now to help you understand it. Because the question still is, there's a much more obvious thing that you did to him yeah. is that you said let, let him be owned by the base of Mikdash so that they can sell him and they'll be entitled to his proceeds it's not an obligation I'm accepting on me I'm transferring his ownership to the base of Mikdash so that they can own him and sell his proceeds now again Tosin says that's not possible because then he would have to be also bound on that's not possible but Rashi says no here's what Rashi is going to say later on even if you try to do that you said I am Makdish the slave for his value so that the base of Mikdash could sell him and take his value I am Rashi would say, you know what would happen? He would get an automatic upgrade and go free. Because, why? He says, it's similar to, let's say, I go ahead and I take my animal, that's a court, this Rashi gives this example, my unblemished sheep, and I say, I maktish this sheep to be sold by the Beis HaMikdash. But so the point is, what do you mean? Once you said you're maktish it, and it has the potential of being a korban, you try to limit its Kedusha, but the Kedusha is fully going to manifest itself in the, in, in, in its maximal way. Okay, it, max, it automatically upgrades. So Rashi says the same is true here. If you say to the slave, I'm selling him to be owned by the base of Mikdash, uh, you know, to be sold, that Kedusha manifests itself in the maximal way. Now, the maximal way is you can't turn him into a carbon, you can't turn him into a beam that's going to be built in the middle. but what you can do is you tra- turn it into the idea that he fully becomes part of the holy people. So Rashi says it's not just an idea that we're, obviously you meant you were freeing him, no, I don't care what you meant, what the Gemara is saying is. If you're Maktishim, then the only full status of Kiddushah 
that can apply to a slave whole, fully is being part of the holy people and therefore that's the effect that being Maktishim has yes so usually there's some relationship between Hektish and the Beit Amitas and you're saying that's not the case I mean what I would have thought is let's say a Maktish Jew yeah well, I would say, I mean, maybe... Yeah, that's, I mean, that's to give your value, like, demand or code. No, that's if you say Eirah. Okay, but, but, but you said something. Well, we're going to get to that. That'll be a Rebbe Meir, then it translates it that way. But that's not this approach. This approach is, and the way Raji understands it is, you were Maktishim, but it can't mean, since it, there, there's a way in which that can express itself fully, the way it could be fully Kadosh is if he's part of the holy people. And therefore, that's what happens. Okay, that's the way Rashi explains it. Let's take a look, continuing the Gemara. Um... Rav Yosef Amar Rav. Now Rav Yosef says in the name of Rav, Hamafkir Avdo If you free him, he goes free because then he's not owned by anybody. Now, of course, that's somewhat obvious, but the question is going to be: Well, does he need a get to change his personal status? He's no longer owned as property, but what about his personal status? So the Gemara says like, What happens to the Amar? Well, the Gemara doesn't. say this Maktish idea, which was the strange idea that you're trying to sanctify him and he turn translate into him becoming a free person. Then certainly you would say it if you explicitly free him. Of a Mavke, the one who gives the example of, 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 of renouncing ownership, of a Makti Shlo, but if you sanctify him, that we wouldn't translate it that you're freeing him. Maybe you mean like we would normally assume. He's owned by the Mekhtas to sell for his proceeds. Okay. Now they raise the following question. When you verbally free him, either by being Mavkir him or being Maktish him, that's enough to renounce your ownership. You can verbally renounce your ownership of something but is it enough to change his personal status right so now you can't enslave him but he's not fully obligated in mitzvahs yet he's not allowed to marry a Jewish woman right or that's the question does his personal status require a separate star shechur or does it automatically follow from the fact that he's no longer owned you remember yesterday we talked the position of Shmuel that said Evan each only as when he's enslaved does he remain in Evan as soon as he stops being enslaved his personal status changes but the Gemara is now Questioning whether everybody says it or not. So let's take a look. We don't agree with Shmuel. You go free in the sense you're no longer enslaved, you're no longer owned as property, but your personal status does not yet change until you get a writ of manumission. Okay, I'm a rabbi. Now Rabbi says, going back to the idea that Maktish means that you free him. We ask on our on, on, on our own posi- on our position. Okay, meaning Rabbi quoted this in the teaching of Rav that Maktish means he goes free, and then he says, but we challenged ourselves in the following way. Um, so we teach this uh, this uh, Mishnah, I think Brisa. Excuse me, Brisa. Uh, um, if somebody sanctifies his property, I Maktish all my property, and amongst my property were slaves. The Gizbarim, the the uh, the uh, treasurers of Hektish, cannot free the slaves. Okay, because that would seem like they are, you know, mistreating my, you know, like like the like 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 I gave this as a donation to the base on Mikdash, and you're freeing them, like you know, or they're misusing my, you know, the donation. So therefore, they can't free them. Um, why? Um, what they can do is sell them, use the proceeds for the base of Mikdash. Somebody else wants to free them, let the other person feed them. Or maybe they can even sell them to a person on the condition that the person feed them, although why would the person then buy them? Anyway, but that they can do. Okay? So basically the idea is they become holy and the base of Mikdash sells them and uses the proceeds. Okay? Rebbe um, Omer says, Omer, I say, no, 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 no. He can actually 
free himself. The slave, if he has his own money, can purchase himself for himself, can buy himself from the base of Mikdash, and then he'll become free, and then he'll and then and then he'll be a free person. That still counts. You can, they, they can't just stomp free him, but you but included in the treasurer's right to sell him to other people, one of the people they could sell him to is to himself. Okay, so that's the debate of can the slave be sold to himself, or does that seem like they're misusing the property and they're just freeing the slave and they're not actually, you know, do trying to get the proceeds from it. Anyway, for us, that debate is not interesting. For, I mean, it's interesting, but that's not relevant. For us, what's relevant is the question, uh, the point that when you sanctify your property in, and their slaves, what it means in the case of slaves is not that they become free, but that they become owned by the base of that can be sold for their for their for their proceeds. Okay, so that's exactly against this whole position of Rav so, that they become free. So the Gemara says like this. Um, okay, so the first answer is what you want to challenge Rav with the Brisa. Rav Rav was from the transitional generation between the Tanaim and the Amorayim, and he's allowed to disagree. He's included and considered a Tan as well. He's allowed to disagree with that Okay, well, Tashma. Okay, we're still not done. Okay, etc. Any cherim, anything under the ban of people, etc. Lo yipadek mot yuman. I mean, actually, the pasuk says put to death, but somehow we're going to bracket that end of the pasuk, and we're introducing an idea. This is so complicated, but anyway, that cherim using the word cherim is a form of sanctifying something to the base hamikdash. That's all the only thing that's interesting for us right now, and therefore the pasuk concludes people can be sanctified with cherim. What does that mean? So the gemara says. Including your, your your female and male your male and female non Jewish slaves. So the Gemara says. So you see, you can sanctify them to the base of Mikdash. Okay. So the Gemara. So and, uh, and why don't they become free? Now notice, by the way, here you didn't even use the word kadosh, which is it's not just because you said according to Rashi, I'm maktish that it means I'm kadosh. That's why Rashi says even if you d- use the word cherem, it wouldn't matter if you if you try to sanctify them and you're sanctifying this human being, then it expresses itself in what a full sanctity could mean by a human being, which is part of, you know, it gets that automatic upgrade, part of, part of Am Kadosh. So anyway, but this, right, this, but this says, like, no, based on a puzzle, it seems like they really are sanctified. They're under Cherem. So the Gemara says, no. What are you talking about? The Amar leads me. You explicitly said, I'm only doing it for their monetary value. I do not want it to, you know, I do not want them to be uh, fully sanctified. Sorry, you said that being, if you hadn't said that, then we didn't know how do you interpret Cherem. What? We you interpret Cherem as they can't have an like the Cherem? No, I don't, uh, no, but that they, that's this idea that Raji said that they automatically get upgraded. But if you say that I'm only doing lead May, then it stays to mean only lead May. So the Gemara says, if that's true, so why don't didn't you, so you could have just said that before. You could have said that uh, when, when we had the case about the Gis Barim, right, why don't we just say that you said it, oh, that you said lead May? Why do we have to say that Rav disagreed with that position if Rav would agree in a case when you said lead May for their value? So the Gemara says no. Um, so the Gemara says no. What would that have to do with the Gizbarim? And it's like, huh? What? What do you mean? If you're sanctifying them for their value, so then the Gizbarim are selling them. So here Rashi does a strange thing. And Rashi says, because remember, Rashi says, even if, I told you before that Rashi's position is, that even if you explicitly say Lidmei, it gets an automatic upgrade. It becomes, right? So how does saying Lidmei help? You should have stopped me right there. Okay? So what Rashi says, if he says here when he says Lidmei, it doesn't mean you say, I'm sanctifying the slave to be owned by the base of Mikdash for his value. What Rashi says the word lead may here means is you say, ah, forget the slave. I'm just accepting on myself 
to pay his value to the base of Mikdash. It's a personal debt. I'm not sanctifying the slave at all. So, yeah, essentially. Okay? So, so Rashi says you did not actually sanctify the slave when it says you did this cherem thing. Because again, for Rashi, when you, when you, when you say actually sanctify in any way, it gets an automatic upgrade. So the Gemara says, if that's true, well, why don't you say it? He becomes free. Right. So the Gemara says, so the Gemara says okay, so now you're saying it's only you accepted a personal obligation. Why don't you say that before about the case with the treasurers? He says, no. Because the case of the treasurers, clearly you sanctified the slave himself. Something happened to the slave himself because the treasurers are selling him. It's not just your personal obligation. Okay, so that's how Rashi. No, that case, what does that have to do with the treasurers? The what are they doing with other people? You know, you know, it's all about your personal obligation. It's not about the slave being owned and traded and sold by the base of Mikdash. The Su, Rebbe Omer, Omer, Ani Afu, No, Thank Me'atzvah, Yotzeh. The Nezhu Kamoch, Lo, He buys himself back. Um, and if it's just your personal obligation on yourself to pay the value, Nezhu Kamoch, Lo, What's all that doing? Clearly there, it's owned by the base of Mikdash. So if it's owned by the base of Mikdash, in that case, by the Gizbarim, the only explanation is that's a Tana that disagrees with Rav. Rav has to disagree with it. Okay? Because Rav would say it's impossible, the way Rashi explains, even if you try to limit his Kedusha to be just for proceeds, once you're Makdashim himself, he becomes free. So if a Braitha feels otherwise, that a base of Mikdash can own him, it argues on Rav. Okay? And therefore, that's why we had to say it argued on Rav. Okay, Tashma, come in here. Okay, if you sanctify a slave, then he actually he he can go ahead and continue working. Okay, because um, because you only sanctified his value. Now, what does that mean? It means it's sort of like Tosos's point. Like it's it's not like the slave himself is um, well, not exactly Tosos's word, but here here here's the thing. If I can, if you might remember from the past, I can be like Makdish my hands or you know my masa to the base hamikdash any of my labor goes to the base hamikdash or my slave's labor goes to the base hamikdash so here what it's saying is but you didn't say you're makdish the labor you said you're makdish the slave so the, the labor that the slave produces is really totally the master is totally okay so the only thing that belongs to the base hamikdash is the value of the slave okay now what does it mean by the value of the slave what yeah, but it means to like, yeah, so I had to, I guess there's a word, what are you going to sell him to other people? Why would other people want him? If, but um, I think the point is, no, you could sell him to other people and, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> other people have rights to his labor, but somehow the labor itself has not been what's been sanctified. So as long as he hasn't been sold, like, yeah, that's an interesting question. Like, why is it that if Hector owns him? So anyway, uh, yeah, I'm getting a little confused. It's a good point. Um, okay. Um, anyway, but the problem is, um, um, as we're going to see, that what the Gemara is going to say is, is, well, let's take a look at what the Gemara says. So he's not, he's not Yotei Lecheres. Right. Right, exactly. So let's, anyway, but it is, yeah, I'm, 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 I, it is a good question, exactly, what to ask. Anyway, but says, how many Rebbe Meir he? This is Rebbe Meir. A person doesn't say something for naught. Now, what does that mean? So now, Michael, here we're going to introduce your idea of Erech. Yeah. So basically, if somebody says, Rebbe Meir says that if somebody says by like an infant that's less than a month old, Erko Alai, his value is on me, and the Erech is based on certain amounts assigned in the Torah, so the value is zero. So basically, you should pay zero. So Rebbe says, no, no, no. You don't say things for naught. 
or this might be not a question about your motivation, but our halachic position, we're going to interpret it as a statement that has meaning. So rather than saying the Erech, which is the fixed value assigned by the Torah, we're going to say what it means is the value, the market value I accept upon myself. That's what we retranslate the word Erech to mean the market value. Okay, so here Rashi says um, that, um, um, that Rashi says that what it means here when you say, and maybe this explains to your question before about lo hiktishel damav, that this damav means that you accept upon yourself to pay his value. Not again, like Rashi said before, it's not that he is sanctified for his value. You've accepted to pay his value to the base hamikdash. Okay, so you sanctify your slave, and it says the slave is totally not kadosh. That's why he, he can work. No, not kadosh at all. You have to pay his value to the base hamikdash, and, and he doesn't go free. So why doesn't he go? Free? So, so remember those for Rashi the way Rashi is explaining the Gemara are the two possible models one is I'm sanctifying him then I can't limit the sanctity boom he goes free and the other is I accept the obligation on myself this Breitha says you tried to sanctify him and it became you obligated yourself okay so you so why didn't it say he becomes free because, well it's Rebbe Mayer and for Rebbe Mayer Rebbe Mayer is prepared to interpret statements to mean you've accepted the, obliga- the, the value to pay on yourself to pay that value that's more consistent with the idea that you were maktish. So for Rebbe Meir, we're not going to interpret it that he was sanctified, which would ter- make him free. We're going to interpret it as you accepted the obligation on yourself to pay his value. Okay, so again, for Rav, there's two possible models when you're maktish a slave. Normal case, I maktish him. Whatever I try to do, however I try to limit it, he goes free. The other possibility is I'm not maktish him. I just accept his value on myself to pay his value to the base of Mikdash. Rebbe Meir says you try to do A, we're going to interpret it as B. Okay, Ainer the Moti Dvarulavatala. So now the Gemara says like this: Hachinami Mistavra. That also makes sense. Tiktani Save at the end of the Brisa says, "Vachain Hushiki Shatzmo." If he sanctified himself, Osa Vaochel, he can work. Shelo Hiki Shela Damav. That he only sanctified his value, which again here means not he's owned by the base of Mikdash, but he's now obligated to pay his value to the base of Mikdash. For Rebbe Meir, it makes sense. But if you say it's the rabbis who argue on Rebbe Meir, who, who, who don't reinterpret people's words, so so you get that the idea that the slave, when you, you sanctify your slave, so then you, you own his value and you can therefore sanctify his value. Um, but him, he doesn't basically have his own, his own value. How can he sanctify himself what would that mean right so if you're the owner and you sanctify the slave it could theoretically mean he's now owned by the base of Mikdash for his proceeds but how could it mean that way if he sanctifies himself so clearly we're dealing with a position that is going to reinterpret the words so we have two ways of like reinterpreting the words one is he, you accept the obligation to pay that's the Rebbe Mayer position and there's the Rav's position which might not be reinterpret the words it's more reinterpret the effect you try to sanctify him what's going to happen is he'll become free okay so now the Gemara says like this. Let's say that this issue is of, of what happens when you sanctify your slave is a debate of Tanayim. Okay. Hamatish Avdo. You sanctify your slave. Ain Molimbo. There's no Mi'ila. Meaning that if you somehow misuse him, okay, this is going back against Tosos' idea that yes, he can become Asr Behana, and now if he's used for some purpose outside of Hektesh, it's actually a transgression of misuse of Hektesh. But Ain Molimbo means no, you do, not, you do not transgress that violation. Okay. And, um, and you wouldn't bring a korban for mi'ila. 
If you misused his hair, that would be a problem. So what's that about? Anyway, so my love, let's say this is a debate. Tamar Sever Kadosh, one says that he is sanctified against Rav. He, re- he really is sanctified, and therefore you can be Moel. Umar Sever, that would be from Gamliel. Umar Sever Lokadosh, he's not sanctified, and therefore you're not Moel. Of course, then he also wants to be a free person. But anyway, okay, but maybe that's the debate. So the Gemara says, Tisfra, does that make sense? That's what they're debating. Hi, Molimbo, the Molimbo. It shouldn't have been debating whether you, you transgress in the Ela, which is a technical question of, uh, of, of, uh, of this transgression or this Korban, and because only some cases fall within it. So it shouldn't have made it about that narrow def- question about whether it's Me'il or not. Hi, Kaddish, Veino Kaddish, Nibayalei. It should have, they should have been debating fundamentally. They should, one should have said he's holy, he's sanctified, and the other said he's not sanctified. Also, what's the story with the hair, right? If it's fundamentally... I understand. Oh, maybe. But if it's fundamentally not sanctified, why does he say there's no Me'ilo with the hair? Say there's no Me'ilo... I mean, why did he say, excuse me, there is Me'ilo with the hair? Just say there's Me'ilo with all of it. So anyway, let's see what the Gemara says. Hello, rather, to Huyama Kadosh. Everybody agrees he is sanctified. This is a debate. Yes, he's sanctified. But there's a halacha. You don't transgress the halacha, the transgression of Mi'ilah when it's land. So if I sanctified my land, there's no question it's sanctified. But if you misused it, you would not bring a korban Mi'ilah. That's just a technical exclusion to the laws of Mi'ilah. So slaves are linked to land, and therefore they're also excluded from the laws of Mi'ilah, and you don't bring a korban and that's why you're exempt. He is Kadosh. It's all against Rav. Everybody says he's Kadosh. The question is uh, Mi'ila. So one says there's no transgression, because, uh, there's no Korban because he's like land. Um, and the other says, no, he's like cattle and there is Mi'ila. So one says, one minute. Then again, what's the issue about the hair? Say there's Mi'ila about if you misuse any of it. El says, fine. Well, I can see that point too. Yes, A, he's Kadosh. Everybody agrees to that. Against Rav. B, he's like land, so there technically won't be Mi'ila. But here's the issue with the hair. It's time for him to get a haircut. Okay, so the hair is ready to be shorn off. So, does that, is that, it's connected to him, but it's not, uh, like, it's, it's, you know, it's seen somewhat as external, it's not a fully integrated part of his body, and it's ready to be cut off. So there's, there's a question, like, there's a whole interesting halacha, that when uh, somebody has to go to the mikvah, and they need to be tovel, we needed a separate pasuk to say that your hair has to go under the water as well. Because the hair might be seen in some way, it can be, it can be cut off from the body, right? It's not like, so, it's not live, right? The hair is dead, right? Is that right? Anyway? Yeah? I mean, the, okay, anyway. So so anyway, sort of like fingernails, also something of that question, but fingernails are a little bit closer to you. Anyway, so, <laughs> so maybe that is not like not like him and not like Karka. So and it's, if it's ready to... Is it a then? No, 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 no. There's a possibility that it wasn't under the obligation of a part of the body that needed to be immersed. That I could immerse my whole body and have the hair floating on top of the water or sticking out of the water. I got a big afro and I'm still Yotze. We don't pos- that we don't. We learn from the that it has to go under. But the point is we needed a, we needed a a drusha to tell me that, okay, to tell me that it's considered part of the body. So here, when it's time to shave the hair, maybe it's not so much part of the body that it would actually um, not be considered like the body of the slave, and therefore not have the halacha that it's like karka, have the halacha that it's like metaltolin, and therefore like it's chattel, and therefore there would be a transgression of mi'ila. Okay, yeah? Yep. Where? Okay. So, the halacha... 
It's time to get a haircut. It's like the hair is already shorn, and therefore it's no longer part of the slave, no longer like karka, and therefore there is mi'ila. It's not like it's already shorn. Okay, good. Now we figured out that bright, and the whole bright doesn't agree with Rav. The slave is holy, and now we just have this interesting debate uh, when something it's time to be shorn. To what do we do? We see it as if it's already in that status in order to give it something different type of a category. It no longer really belongs in the karka category. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. And so Gemara says, uh, Let's say that debate of if it's time to be shorn, is it like it's shorn, tracks the following debate. There are things that are like karka, but they're no longer considered to be to, halakhically to be karka. And this is where the halakha that you don't make an oath on land. So like classic oaths, like where's the $100 you borrowed me? No, I only borrowed $50. So that's a motive of mixus. You conceded half of the debt. You have to make an oath on the uh, an oath on the other half that would not apply if we were dealing with land. Okay? Where's that, you know, um, so, so, uh, so, let, so now let's take a look. So it's a similar type of an area where land is excluded, from, you know, technically excluded. So the message is like this. And don't, don't agree that there's some things that are like land but don't, don't count as it. I say to you, I gave you ten vines laden with grapes, you know, and uh, that you could, I don't know, that I transferred to your ownership, that you could harvest them or something like that, and then you were going to return them to me. I don't exactly get how that works because they're on my property, exactly where the vines are. But anyway, I say I gave you ten, ten vines laden with grapes. No, you only gave me five. So is that a motive of mixus? You have to take an oath. Rabbi Meir Mechaev, Rabbi Meir says you have to. It's a motive of mixus. It's not considered karka. So chachamim omim enam enam elachamesh. No, chachamim omim. Excuse me. No, even though they're vines, they're counted like land. Okay. So is Rabbi Meir saying they're not counted like lands because they're not dirt? They're growing from the dirt. Is that what he's saying? That anything growing from the land, from the dirt is not karka? So the Gemara says no. That's everybody would agree. Something growing from the dirt is considered connected to the dirt and connect to Karka, here's the debate. They're not debating the vines. Vines definitely are considered Karka and there would not be an oath. They're debating the grapes the grapes and the time notice uh, it's time for them to have been picked so therefore Rebbe Meir says the grapes when it's time to be picked they're no longer considered karka they're ready to come off the ground okay uh, the Meir it's like they're already harvested it's not like they're harvested so again and it's a similar type of debate when do we consider something to be that's connected to karka to be like karka if it's time has come to be disconnected so there's a whole very analogous debate right about that question so the Gemara seems like a good parallel so the Gemara says no um, Rebbe Meir could even though he holds there that it's like they're, they're harvested he might not say the same with the hair why does he say that the grapes are no longer considered karka by grapes they come at the that once it's time to be harvested the longer you leave them on the vine the worse they get so they really are no longer not only is it time but they no longer have any any you know uh, viable not viable like any beneficial connection to the ground so it really is not they, they're not seen as A, you're more motivated to cut them off and B, just objectively there's no there's, no, there's nothing 
positive about their connection to the ground. So they're no longer considered part of the ground. If you leave the hair alone, it'll grow more. Even better, you'll get more when you sell it to the wig maker. So therefore, even if you've decided it's time for a haircut, they're more intrinsically connected to the body and therefore would still be considered like karka. Okay, so that was the end of that digression about things have time to be harvested or to be cut and whether they're like karka or not. Now, he saw the Rebbe Bar Yosef when Rebbe Bar Yosef went to Eretz Yisrael. He said this pre-teaching of Rav that if you're makdish your slave, he goes free. Come to Rebbe Yochanan in front of Rebbe Yochanan. Oh, I'm sorry. And he also said, excuse me, not only that he goes free, but that Tzarech gets shichur. Okay. So I'm Rebbe Yochanan. So Rebbe Yochanan said, I'm Rav Hachi. I'm sorry. So it's, yes, yes, I know, but it's the teaching of Rav that oh no, because Rebbe Chibar Avin said. What was it? Was this Rabbi Chibar Avin? No, that was Rabbi Chibar Yosef. Anyway, um, anyway, okay, so, anyway, Rabbi Yosef said in the name of this, anyway, this wasn't the thing about Makdish. We're moving on from the Makdish. It was the state teaching in the name of Rav that was, if you're Maskir, your slave, he goes free, but he needs to get Shekhor. That, that's the teaching of Rav. We're, we're, we're moving beyond Makdish. So he said this to Rabbi Yochanan. Rav says, if you're Maskir, your slave, he goes free, and he needs to get Shekhor. So Amalei, so Rabbi Yochanan said, Amar of Hachi, did Rav, could Rav say such a thing, that he still needs to get Shekhor? So the says, one minute. You don't you say the same thing? Exactly what Rav said. You renounce ownership of your slave, so you no longer own him as property, but you need to give him a, a, a writ to, to change his status. And you said the exact same thing. Why are you challenging that Rav said it? So the Gemara says, Okay, no, no, no. This is what he meant to say. What? Rav says like that? Rav says just like me? So that's no, like, <laughs> he's like, he's like, he's like, Rav said that? He's like, wow, Rav said that? Okay, so that's the difference. Okay, so great, he got support. No, no, no. The problem was, was he interrupted him. He didn't get a chance to finish. He says, Rav says, if you're Mavki, your slave, he goes free. And he was going to say, but you still need to get Shechor. But before he got the words, but you still need to get Shechor out of his mouth, he says, how can you go free? You still need to get Shechor. Okay, so that was the problem. But in the end, they all agree. Okay. 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 Doesn't one minute? Doesn't Rav say you need to get shichur? Shouldn't Rav have? Shouldn't have required? Fine. But at the end of the day, everybody agrees. Rav and Rabbi Yochanan that even when you renounce property ownership of your slave, you still need to give him a, a star shichur to change his personal status, and that's against Shmuel. Shmuel says once the property ownership ends, the personal status automatically follows. Okay. Here we're saying no. You need to step to change his personal status. Now the question says Gufa. Now let's go back and look at the same idea, but explore it within the context of Rabbi Yochanan. Amar Ulam Rabbi Yochanan, the mouth of the Yosef Chesus Arket Shichor. Eisei Rabbi Abba Lula, so Rabbi Abba challenged Ula. Gershemate, a convert died, and he has no heirs, because anybody who is born Jewish will always have an heir. Any other living Jew is at least in some way his relative. But if a convert dies, and he has no children, and he has no heirs, his property becomes ownerless. Okay, so everybody, it's a free-for-all. Okay, everybody grabs his property. And some, and some, some Jew grabbed hold of his property. And there were slaves amongst his property. Whether they're, whether they're adults or children. 
Then you, the um, you know, you a Jew don't get to jump into his property and take possession of his slaves. As soon as he dies, his slaves at that moment become ownerless. That's like mafia avdo, right? Nobody owns the slaves right now, and if nobody owns them, they take possession of themselves and they become free people. Okay, got it? Yep. yep. Okay. Yes. Sorry, quick. Is, is it that? A non-Jew can't inherit, or that we assume that if someone's converted, that they probably don't have. Religion. No, it, neither. It's that if, if he's converted, then legally he has no. A, he's a new person, and therefore no, none of his biological relatives are considered his legal relatives. He has them. He's still children. We have to work through in a system like ours, where. Right. Technically yes, okay. but the, anyway, we deal things nowadays with you know with uh, with wills or whatever and so on. Right. Even if he did have children, if they were right. Even if he did have children, correct. They're not legally his children. Okay. So okay. So so basically, he died. His property becomes ownerless. So the slaves become free. Whether they need a star shikhur or not is interesting. It does not sound like they that they need a star shikhur. Okay. But anyway, we'll get to that. Okay. But certainly, property wise, they now own themselves. Um, that works by adults adults sort of take take possession of themselves but the minors the slaves who are minors they are not yet a legal entity you know recognized as adult they haven't reached the age of majority so they're not allowed they, they, they in halacha can't take possession of property so the same way they can't take possession of somebody else's property they can't take possession of themselves so here are these poor kids their property waiting to be seized and they can't even claim them, their own ownership over themselves and therefore if you grab the minor slaves you take possession of them okay so that's the debate but now the question the reason this is a challenge is you Rabbi Yochanan said that even after property, slaves are made ownerless to change their personal status, they need a star shikhur. They need a writ of manumission, right? They don't automatically become, as a personal status, a full free man. The problem here is, is that who's going to write the writ of manumission? Right? Yeah. Right? The only person who could write it is dead. Yeah. There are no heirs, there's no anybody. So if they need a writ of manumission, they should be totally stuck. Okay? So he says like this. I don't get it. How could they go free? Who's writing them their writ of manumission? So the Gemara says, Amma, he said back to him, no. It seems to me like this Talmud Chacham here never learned a sugi in the Gemara. What type of stupid question is that? Okay, so it's very nice to say it's a stupid question. The time am I? So what's the answer? So now that you're done insulting him, what's the answer? So I'm, I can't believe you asked such a stupid question. Even my ball go look at it. No, the time am I? I'm of Nachman. Because Ula was of the opinion. Well, exactly. <laughs> I was of the opinion the gear Kiishto. He says if it's an issue of personal status, and by the way, we're using the word get. Now, that's not really because we're borrowing the word get from the case of the woman. As the first toasters in the sugya pointed out, get really just means star. But nevertheless, anyway, the whole idea, you know, there's whole, obviously we're talking about slaves here, talking about, you know, women, the whole idea about the, you know, writing a, a, a star and changing the personal status. So it says, just think about that, 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 that paradigm of a man's wife, right? It's all about personal status. She needs a writ to change her personal status. What happens when he dies? It automatically changes. Okay? So therefore it says to Ishta. Uh, where are we? Uh, um, his wife is divorced when he dies or is free, you know, free to herself without a get. Here too, they're free when they don't have a get. Now, of course, the point is, well then, why is that different when there are heirs? If the master isn't alive, then they should just be free. Their original master isn't there. 
So he's hachi afilu Yisrael nami. Amakra, right? No, they are passed on, which basically means the following. Okay, who? When we think about the issue of personal status, I no longer own you as property, okay, but you still have your personal status as slave. I don't own you as property, but your still identity is that as slave. My identity, why do I get to write the writ of manumission? I don't own you anymore. Because my identity to you is still master. Not a master that owns you as property, but somehow has a personal relationship, if you want to do. Right? Our relationship is still master to slave, and therefore I still have the status that I can write the writ and to free, and to free you. All right? That's how it normally works. When somebody dies and they have heirs, the heirs take monetary possession, and therefore they also, with that monetary possession, comes the title of master, and they're also the ones that are in the position, right, to uh, go ahead and to uh, write it. They, they inherit, because they now own the slave, they now get that title of master that comes with it, and they would be the ones to write the writ. In the case of a gear who dies, what it's saying is, the... Own, the property ownership went away. He, you, we would start by saying he still has a status of slave, but there's nobody who has a status of master. And since nobody has a status of master, the status of slave goes away as well as a personal status issue. Okay? So the reason the personal status remained was because there was somebody to whom that relationship related. You were somebody's slave. Maybe no longer in terms of property ownership, but somebody's slave. Okay? When the guy dies and there's nobody who inherits, and then there's also nobody who has the identity of master, and nobody who can write, who, because there's nobody who can write the get, there's nobody who needs to write the get. Okay? So that's basically the answer. I don't know it was such a super question. I mean, it's a good, it's a nice answer, but it's a little complicated. Yes? <laughs> right. There's still some identity of that relationship. Right. So now the Gemara says, now listen to this brilliant question the Gemara has. It's going to sort of try to say, let's try to replicate that scenario. Iachi says the Gemara, Hamafkir Avdo, Reuven freed his slave. Okay? Verbally. Not he freed. He renounced ownership of his slave. He doesn't own him as property anymore. But he still needs to write him a writ of man, a writ. Right? Because he still has this master-slave relationship with him. Okay? And then what happens? Umate. Then Rube died. So what should happen now? Based on that model of the gear, you should say the slave should go free. Right? I mean, he should be, he should not require a writ of freedom. Right? Because he now no longer is anybody's slave. So his personal status should change as well. So the Gemara says, Nami? So that also should just be like the case of the gear. The personal status should change once there's, he's not owned by anybody and nobody is alive who was his, who's his master. So the Gemara says, it's, but okay, Alama Amar Meymar. So then why does a Meymar say, Hamafkir Avdo Umeis Oso Evadin Lo Takana? That no, he's stuck. He needs a he needs a writ to change his personal status, and nobody and nobody exists who who has who is a master who can write that writ. So Amemer says he's stuck. So it doesn't disobey. It means he that is. he is uh, he works for himself yeah. because he owns himself, so he gets to keep his own earnings and so on as a they as an economic be. entity. But as a personal status, he's not fully obligated to mitzvahs. He can't marry a Jewish woman and so on. So anyway, the Gemara says Amemer Kasha. Fine, Amemer doesn't fit our model. Okay, but this now becomes this fascinating idea of thinking about the two aspects. 
him as property and owned as property and the idea those who disagree with Shmuel Rav and Rav Yochanan say even when he's no longer owned as property he has a personal identity status as slave who the master the, ex, the ex-master but he still has some role as master is the one uniquely in the position to give him a shkar shikhar to change that identity and then what happens when that master who doesn't own him as property anymore dies does his status of slave automatically go away and he becomes a full free man or is the guy just stuck and that's the issue that we have these two opinions about okay, let's see if we can turn the page before 8.30 ok um, so we rule like Abba Shol that Abba Shol says the minor slaves do not take possession of themselves only the adult slaves ok in this case of the girl who died when you said, heard that the ruling was like Abishol, did you hear that ruling explicitly? Or were you inferring that from something else that was said? Um, so the Gemara says, So when the Gemara says, like, if, why are you asking the question? Presumably, because if somebody only inferred it, you want to question whether it was a good inference. So how could somebody have inferred that ruling that we rule like uh, that we rule like uh, what's his name? Abashal, thank you. So I'm a Rabbi Yoshoben Levi, because Rabbi Yoshoben Levi says, I'm a Lisnei Rabbi. You know what? We only have one minute, and I can't get into it. All right, so we'll have to end here to be continued tomorrow.